This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. Take your Bibles and turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. It is our normal habit here on Sunday mornings to get on our knees and pray, usually before the sermon. Uh, We're going to leave that to the end of the sermon today. Just given the nature of this text and what I believe God wants to do in our hearts this morning, I felt like it would be better just to wait and um, give us some time at the end to, to be alone with God and just to hear some things from him. And so we'll do that at the end of our time together. Hebrews chapter 12, I've been so excited about spending some time with you in this text. I began two weeks ago, and then uh, last week we did something a little bit different since almost no one was here, and, um, but uh, we're back at it this morning in Hebrews 12. I want to begin by reading for us verses 1 through 3. If you're there in Hebrews 12, say amen. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. I know in our Bibles there's a division between verses two and three, but I believe those three verses go together. They carry the same emphasis of endurance, of looking to Jesus, of continuing to run and not growing weary. A couple of weeks ago, we focused on the three really key words in this text They're found toward the end of verse one. It's three words, let us run. Everything in this text of scripture revolves around those words. So you could put let us run and then everything else points to that. That is the primary command of the text. That is the primary emphasis of the text. That is the one thing the author wants us to get is that as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, he is calling us to run with our eyes fixed on him. And so we looked at the way in which we are called to run this race set before us. And we we said that in such a beautiful way, God has given every one of us kind of the same race to trust and follow Jesus. But yet in his providence, because of his great love for us, he is really charting out a different course for every one of us. And so we can't compare our lives to anybody else's or our course to anybody else's. And we can learn from so many others who have run this race because we're all trusting and following, but at the same time, God has a race planned out for you that's gonna look different than anyone else's because he knows you and he knows what he wants to do in your life and it really is a beautiful thought. But if I'm honest with you, I'll tell you that a couple of weeks ago after I finished that sermon, I left Sunday morning feeling a bit conflicted and feeling some tension in my heart. I wasn't exactly sure what it was. On one hand, I entered into this new year in Hebrews 12 feeling like this is exactly what we need to hear right now at this moment. But then I left with a little bit of tension feeling like, well, maybe this is the opposite of what we need to hear right now. And I couldn't understand where that tension was coming from. And so 
I just begin to pray and ask the Lord to reveal to me what is it that I'm feeling right now. And what I realized is that in many ways, this is exactly what we need to hear. I mean, we need to hear in this generation to run hard after Jesus Christ. It's such a good picture of our Christian life. A good reminder that life with Jesus demands what we often don't give it. And that's effort and discipline and determination. I think about that passage in 1 Corinthians 9 where Paul says this. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Like we, we need this kind of message in our life. We tend to take our relationship with Jesus way too casually. We tend to be really passive in our relationship with Jesus and we just don't often put much effort into it if we're honest. And so these reminders of running and being disciplined and running like you actually wanna win the race, these are really important for us. But the tension I was feeling is that I'm preaching to an exhausted generation. <laughs> everybody's overwhelmed, everybody's tired, everybody's busy. Everybody feels like they have too much to do, and it's, it's a problem. Like, I feel like the verse for this generation is Luke 10, 41, where Jesus looks at Mary and says this, you are anxious about too many things. Like, that's the verse for this generation. You are anxious about too many things. There are way too many things you have on your mind. There are way too many things you're worried about, way too many things you're concerned about, way too many burdens that you're carrying. And the tension I was feeling is telling an exhausted generation to run harder. I didn't want to miss the spirit of Jesus in Matthew 11, which has been such an important text to me, in which Jesus looks at another exhausted generation. This is not new to us. Different reasons we're exhausted, but he looks at an exhausted generation and he says, hey, come to me, all of you who are weak and heavy laden, and I'll give you what? I'll give you rest. And I think the tension I was feeling was the little bit of a tension between Hebrews 8 and Hebrews 12 because God began to revolutionize my thinking in Hebrews 8 that God wants to, through Jesus Christ, remove us from that overbearing religious system with all of its demands and all of its rules and all of its lists and all of its programs and structures and lead us into this intimate relationship with Jesus Christ that's real and daily. So removing that burden but then we come to Hebrews 12 and it says, run harder, run faster. And I felt like I was, I was conflicted between those two things. Well, which is it? Do, do, we, do we not? Do, do we run? Like, how do I let go of all of the heaviness and the burden and then, and then still run with Jesus? But while running seems to feel frantic and hurried and exhausted, that's not the feel of this text at all. You see, the tension I was feeling really came from a misunderstanding of the role that Jesus plays in our life. Jesus is not something you add to your already exhausted life. Jesus is not another piece you add to your busy life. Jesus is to become the center of life. So how we tend to view it is this, I'm exhausted, 
And yet I've still got this thing, Jesus and church and all of this. And so I'm just gonna add this piece over here. And the reason why Jesus, I'm not even sure it's, it's extra time, leftover time. The reason Jesus tends to get our leftover time is because there's so many other things that have to get done. And Jesus is another thing which doesn't feel like it has to get done. So we don't do anything with Jesus. When in reality, the gospel is saying that when you come to know Christ, Jesus becomes the center of your life. And everything else finds its place within the center. And what God wants to do is he wants to give us this settled and solid and peaceful identity rooted in a center, which is Jesus Christ. But if we view Jesus as another thing that we add to our life, an exhausted generation will never pursue Jesus Christ at all. What Hebrews 12 is really calling for, listen, it's calling for us to radically reprioritize our life so that Jesus is at the very center. That's what Hebrews 12 is doing. It's calling us to reprioritize our life. Listen, not so the rules and the systems and the structure and the burdens are at the center of our life, but Jesus himself is at the center of our life. That's what it's calling for. And I say that it's a radical call. I don't use words like that very much. I don't like words like that. Like everything's a radical call. The reason I use radical call is because the feel of the text is a radical call. Look at those words there where it says, let us also lay aside. You see that? Look at the text in verse one. Let us also lay aside. Now lay aside kind of feels like, kind of feels gentle and, and simple. And let's just, what, why don't we for a minute just, just lay that aside. That's kind of what it feels like. But that's, that's not what it's supposed to feel like at all. The real word means to throw something off, to, to strip something off. I love the way the message translates this. It says this, strip down and start running. That's it. That's the feel of the text. Strip down and stop running. It's a metaphor, okay? Just what is super clear right now. Strip down and start running. I mean, this is the word that Paul uses over and over on what we should do with the old self. Get rid of the old self. Live within the new self that has been redeemed in Christ. We don't piddle around with the old self. We, we throw it off. We lay it aside. I was just thinking about how seriously long-distance runners take the issue of, of weight. And I found this article that tells us at the Boston Marathon, on average, every year after the race is done, listen to this, Volunteers come in and pick up 52,000 pounds of clothes that are left on the course. 52,000 pounds of clothes. What's happening is this, they start the race and it's cold and they have all this extra stuff. And as they run a little bit, they just start taking stuff off. They take gloves off, they take hats off, they take jackets off. I don't know what they look like at the end, but they're taking a lot of clothes off here on this race. But this is exactly what it's talking about. And I think it's such a good picture of our lives because we, we begin our life with Jesus with a ton of extra, extra weight, don't we? Like we just bring into this relationship all of our baggage and all of our shame and all of our weight and all of our distractions and years of ignoring Jesus Christ. But here's what happens. As we begin to run with Jesus, we are then in that process to be taking stuff off to be so in tune with Jesus that we realize I don't need this anymore. Like I don't need that and so we throw it off. I don't need that, we, we throw it off and our whole life and running with Jesus, we're just taking stuff off. 
And the feel of the text is that we are in that way so committed to our run with Jesus Christ that this is what we're doing aggressively, making Jesus the center of our lives, making every decision around him, and in so doing, constantly throwing off anything that slows us down. And listen, the reason that that is not an exhausting pursuit is because when we make Jesus to center our life and run after him, we're actually running after rest. You see, we're not exhausted because Jesus. We're not overwhelmed because of Jesus. We're not bound by anxiety because of Jesus. We're bound by exhaustion and anxiety and the feeling of being overwhelmed and not knowing who I are and constantly competing with other people and comparing myself to other is because Jesus is not the center. That's where that comes from. But when Jesus becomes the center and we put our effort into running after him, the most amazing thing happens. We realize that we're running after a solid, secure, and calm self. That's that's where these two come together. But it says in order for us to do that, in order for us to run toward that which actually wants to continue to take off the burden and give us rest, There are some things that we've got to strip off before we run. It says this, look at the text. It says, we should lay aside, we should strip off two things, every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us take these things off, the weight and the sin which clings so closely. I don't normally do this, but I'm going to go out of order. I'm going to talk about the sin first, and the reason is this. It's because I believe the weight demands a little bit more careful thought and contemplation, okay? That's a little bit more of a challenging one. And I wanna leave that to the end because I wanna lead us towards some thoughtfulness about our life with Jesus Christ. But let's look at that first one, that sin which clings so closely. He says, throw it off, strip it off. You can't run when you've got that on. That word clings is also a rather aggressive word. It means that which ensnares us or entangles us. I think about that, that verse, I love that verse in Proverbs 29, 25, which says the fear of man is a trap. Now the fear of man means that you are controlled by the thoughts and opinions of others. And what it means that the fear of man is a trap is that it's like this animal trap that doesn't kill the animal, it just makes the animal unable to move. So if you are bound by the fear of man, it's not gonna kill you, it's just gonna make you completely incapable of making progress. Because you're not gonna do what Jesus tells you to do and you're not gonna be obedient when he tells you to say something and you're not gonna draw away from the crowd. Why? Because you're bound. What your center is, is other people. And so that drives everything you do. And so it's just like this trap. You just can't move. This says that sin is the same way. Sin is like this thing that just entraps you and you're trying to make progress, but you can't because your feet are entrapped. Like to use the metaphor from Hebrews 12, it's like trying to run the race with your shoes tied together. But here's the the sad kind of almost funny irony of the whole thing is that we we take these sins and we don't wanna get rid of them, but we still wanna run with Jesus. I think a lot of people feel this confliction, like I love this sin and I don't wanna give up this sin. And so what we're saying is, I wanna run the race really bad. I just love having my shoes tied together. 
It just, there's something, it makes me feel safe. Like my shoes aren't going to fly off and, and my feet are going to stay together. And so I, I want to just try to do both. Keep them tied together and run. And that's dumb, right? Like you just can't do that. What he's saying is, if you're carrying around a besetting sin and refusing to get rid of it, that's what it's like. It's like saying, I want to run with Jesus. I'm just refusing to deal with this sin. And I think the problem is, I think this is rooted in a failure to see sin with the same kind of seriousness that Jesus does. I mean, Mark 9, Jesus says, if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. The point is, is not literal that you should cut off your hand if it causes you to sin, but we're supposed to leave that text realizing that Jesus was right. It would be better to enter life lame and go to heaven than to go to hell whole because that's just how serious sin is. It's, it's way more serious than we imagine. Like we just have these kind of pet sins. We have these sins we've been dealing with these years. We have these sins that we're just ignoring and we're failing to realize that these sins are undermining everything else God wants to do in our life. You can't run with those things. And I don't know what it is for you. It could be bitterness towards someone for something they've done. You're trying to run and you're weighed down by bitterness. It could be resentment. It could be anger. It could be sexual sin or temptation. It could be greed. It could be a lack of self-control in some area. And you think it's just like one of those things. It's not just one of those things. It is the thing that's hindering you from making spiritual progress. You say, well, what do I do with it? You do the exact opposite of what you want to do with it. You see, what you want to do with it is the same thing I want to do with it. It's the same thing Adam and Eve did with it. They ran and hid from God and each other. That's what you want to do with your besetting sin. You wanna run and hide from God and hide from others. What we fail to realize is that in our hiding, in the same way God did to Adam and Eve, he comes and pursues them. So here's how the enemy works. Listen, I just wanna let you know a little something about sin and Jesus. Our sin makes us feel like we can't come close to Jesus. We're too dirty to come to Jesus and we don't wanna to come to Jesus. We fail to realize that Jesus is a friend of sinners and he is drawn to sinful people. The reason he's drawn to sinful people is because he has more mercy and more grace than you could ever possibly imagine. And there is, as John 1 says, grace upon grace in Jesus Christ. So where you want to hide, Jesus is saying this, don't hide, come close to me. Jesus, I don't feel worthy to come to you. You're not, but you're worthy because I'm inviting you to come and I'm going to forgive your sins through my death, burial, and his resurrection. When you have a sin like this, you run to Jesus, not away from him. And you run to others where you find help. Like when you get humble like that, you start to find healing for those sins. But the point of the passages here is that all of us have these besetting sins. They, they cling so closely to us. They're so annoying. They're so frustrating. And they're always clinging closely. But in this dramatic, radical way, he says, throw them off and, and strip them off. And don't go into another year with those things hanging on sins which cling so closely but look at the other one it says this let us also lay aside let us also strip off let us also throw off every weight every weight now the weight is really interesting because it's referring to something that may or may not be a sin 
but it is something that in some way is, is weighing you down. A weight is anything that slows you down in your spiritual progress. It could be a sin, but most likely it's, it's not a sin. It's just anything that's hindering you. In reading that article about the Boston Marathon, it, it also talked about how significant it is for long distance runners to not wear cotton, but instead to wear nylon. Not because the fabrics weigh that much less, but because the cotton absorbs sweat and makes you heavier. And the nylon makes you lighter and allows you to run faster over a period of time. And then it said this. I literally laughed out loud when I read this. It said that if you would switch from cotton to nylon, you'd save, listen to this, you ready for this? Three ounces. Three ounces. Like they're thinking in terms of three ounces and it actually showed how much second, how many seconds you would take off in a marathon if you saved three ounces, ounces. Like imagine if we were that thoughtful about our life with Jesus. Like can you imagine that? They're thinking in terms of ounces. I don't want three extra ounces. What if we were thinking, Jesus, I wanna I want run so closely with you and, and after you and toward you that I don't want three extra ounces. If there is anything, the littlest, slightest thing that may be weighing me down, Lord, show me it and expose it to me. I wanna have that kind of spiritual sensitivity to the weights that are weighing us down. But listen, that, that kind of sensitivity demands some serious thought, doesn't it? To think about what three ounce weight might be hindering you in your progress with Jesus? I really believe every context, every culture, every church has some, some ones that might be specific to them. I, I believe that the author, when he writes this, although isn't specific, is thinking specifically for them about legalism and the religious system. I think he's afraid that by the time you get to chapter 12, they're gonna start to feel freed up from that bondage they've been under of this religious system of the do's and the don'ts and just the pressure and all of the legalism, but they're gonna start to go back to it because they know it and it's safe and it gives them some sense that they're doing okay and they're following the rules. And I think he's afraid they're gonna go back. But what I, what I also believe is that it's making us aware that every context and culture and church has some that are specific to them. So two weeks ago after our Monday staff prayer time, I just asked our pastors, I said, I said, what do you think in this generation, in this context, are the weights that are holding people back from making spiritual progress? And it just started coming out. I mean, this was a long conversation, boom, boom, boom. And I was writing all of these down and all of these I'm thinking, there was a lot of similarities. I was just writing them down. And then I went to my office and I took the list. I prayed over it. I thought about it. And I thought, what do these things have in common? What do we see are the connections between all of these things that are mentioned? And I think I, I, I came up with at least what I discern as the greatest weight for this generation, and it is this. We as a generation are overwhelmingly busy, burdened, and distracted. We are, as a generation, overwhelmingly busy, burdened, and distracted. Now listen, it's good to be busy. You're supposed to be busy. Like I tell young guys all the time, my advice to young men who get married and have kids is this, go to work and work, come home and work. Like I always imagined I was gonna come home and sit in my lazy boy and uh, read the newspaper and my kids were gonna bring me refreshing beverages. That's just kind of the vision I had of how this was gonna work. Maybe some grapes, I don't know, I was, you know, I was thinking. What I realized is this, like 
I gotta work at work and I need to work at home. And listen, that's good. I'm supposed to work at home. I should get my best work at home. Did Andrea say something snarky over there? I heard laughs right where Andrea was. I feel like something came out over there. All right, I'm gonna get it. We're supposed to go to work and work. We're supposed to come home and work and then we're to go to bed tired. But there's something about our busyness that comes from an unhealthy place. There's something about this generation's busyness that comes out of a need to be something that we're not, to to please people, to kind of be a part of something. We don't wanna miss out. We're terrified we're gonna miss out on something. Let me tell you what else we're terrified. We're terrified our kids are gonna miss out on something. We're terrified our kids might not get every experience. I don't think my parents were thinking that way in the same way this generation is terrified their kids are gonna miss out on something. So we're driven by this unhealthy desire. And let me tell you what it is. What it is, is you're letting someone else's agenda drive your life. And so you're riding around in this car and it's your car, but you're not driving. You're in the passenger seat. And it's, it's, it's going down the road 90 miles an hour. You feel absolutely helpless. And the reason is, is because you've given the steering wheel to somebody else. You're no longer driving the car and it's yours. This is how this generation feels to me. Like we're just letting someone else's vision, someone else's agenda. And it's really hard for us to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Who does God want us to be as a family, as a college student? Who, who am I supposed to be? Let me drive the car with Christ at the center right? Like, what does this look like? There's an unhealthiness about this busyness and it leads to just some really serious dysfunction and lack of space. And we're burdened. Like our hearts and minds are so cluttered and and heavy. Some of you are consuming way too much news. And so what happens is you, you wake up in a day and you know what happens in the first 15 minutes, you have taken all of these weights that frankly probably have nothing to do with you. And you've added them to your life. So now you're walking through the day with all of these burdens and all of these worries. And frankly, some of it is speculation. Some of it is conspiracy theory. And you're carrying around all of these burdens that really may not be true and probably don't pertain to you and probably won't ever happen. We're weighed down with all of this stuff and, and social media has caused us to constantly just compare ourselves to other people with their houses, with their marriage, with their children, with everything. We just carry this burden of needing to compete with other people. We're buying too many things. We're adding too much to, uh, things to our life and everything we buy is adding another burden to our life. It's always something else to do. We have completely lost any sense of simplicity. Like there's almost nothing simple about the lives we're carrying around so much weight that's not necessary. But I think the most significant is not just that we're busy and burdened, we are incredibly distracted. Our phones have killed our brains. This is, I'm, this is not hyperbole. I'm saying our phones have actually killed our brains. It is almost impossible for people to concentrate for any period of time. It is impossible for us to spend still and quiet time alone by ourselves without any temptation to pick up a phone. I was thinking that the word muse, muse means to reflect, 
It means to ponder. It means to gaze. It means to be absorbed in thought. Our spiritual life demands this. Our spiritual life demands musing. David says it in Psalm 27, 4. He says, one thing I ask that I might dwell in the house of the Lord and gaze upon his beauty. David's saying, I just want to muse. I, I want to look. I want to ponder the Lord. I want to see the Lord in all of his beauty and all of his glory. Do you know what the word amuse means? With the prefix ah, it means the absence of pondering. It means the absence of reflecting. It means the absence of gazing. It means not being absorbed in any kind of clear thought. And the reality is, what we're doing with our devices is being consumed with amusement and having no time to muse on something that matters. This is why Neil Postman in the 1950s said, in 1985, I'm sorry, he said, we are amusing ourselves to death. This is before social media. He just was thinking about the medium of television. We're just sitting here and being amused and not learning how to actually muse and think about something that matters. We're consumed with mindlessness. Our phones and our devices and social media are undermining, listen, that which is needed most in walking with Jesus. That's the ability to just sit and be still and quiet with no distractions and look. We had this uh, Paul Miller conference this weekend. Many of you were there. And uh, if you weren't there, I'm still gonna say something about it. But um, Friday night was just super awkward. I'm just gonna be honest about the conference. Um, one of the reasons we invited Paul Miller is because from his reading and from what we'd heard, he just had this ability to see Jesus that was incredible. And the things he was learning about Jesus, if you're reading the book we're all reading, it's just incredible what he sees about Jesus. So we paid him to come and tell us what he'd seen about Jesus. And then he gets here and, and he stands right here. And instead what he does is he gets people to walk around with a microphone asking them what they saw about Jesus. And I'm sitting there thinking, I could have done this without you. Like I could have walked around and ask what you thought about Jesus. Let me tell you what else I was thinking. I, I'm, I, I, don't, I don't want to be snarky. I'm just saying, I don't care what they think about Jesus. Like, I, I care what you think about Jesus, Paul. Like, we paid you to come tell us what you think about Jesus. Now, I will tell you, I, I knew he was going to do this. I had a little insight. But what he was doing is he was looking at texts of scripture and he was highlighting them and saying, what do you see there? And what do you see there? And what do you see? And walking around and everybody giving answers and what do you see? And here's the genius of what he was doing. What he was doing is not telling us what he had seen about Jesus, but teaching us how to see Jesus. And the reason it was so awkward is because we don't ever do that. Like we like this. I, I mean, I hope. We like this, like we do... We want someone to tell us what they've seen about Jesus. And this has a place and this is good and God calls us to do this. But the reality is when someone forces us to look at a text of scripture and muse and think and to see it, we don't know what to do because we're not used to doing that. And so in this brilliant way, without ever telling us he was teaching us this, he was showing us what it looks like for us to see Jesus. To sit in a text of scripture for an extended period of time and ask, what does this say about Jesus Christ? And the reason that matters is because at the very core of our life with Jesus is love. Love for God and love for others. 
And the only way that we learn how to love God and learn how to love others is by being willing to spend significant, undistracted time in his presence or in anybody's presence. We learn to love somebody by just time and attention and looking and thinking and eye contact. And somehow we've gotten this idea that was just a little bit of this on Sunday morning. We can go deeper with Jesus. And the hindrance is that we're just not giving Jesus the time and attention he needs. And I was just thinking about this and this will resonate with you. Like, how many times do you find yourself in a room of people you love? And while surrounded by people you love, you're looking at people you don't care about. No, I'm serious. Like in the room is people you love that have been entrusted to you. And you're looking at stuff or, or you're hiding in a room somewhere when there's people in the house that you love and you're, just, and you're just looking at people that you don't love that much. Or you're in a restaurant surrounded by people that God loves, that he put you there to see. But, but you're, you're looking at people you don't care about. Most of them you don't even know. And you're never gonna know, nor are you ever gonna be like them, nor do you wanna be like them. Like, I almost didn't say this because it's so embarrassing, but I'm gonna tell you this. In my house, if you wanna spend uninterrupted time with Jesus, it's gotta be after 10 p.m. or before about 6.30 p.m. That's the quiet Jesus hours, okay? And it's great, I love it. But if I wanna spend an hour and a half with Jesus, I gotta wake up at five. So there's a morning this week, I got up and I, and I did it and I got with Jesus and I was so excited. I had this time with Jesus. Listen to this. I'm reading, so, so here it is. I'm in the gospel of Luke and I'm reading and Jesus and I are spending time together and I'm learning something. And then my phone over here lights up and I look at it and it says something and I pick it up and I look and I just get this pic. Jesus is waiting. Like when you're done, I'll be here. So I'm looking and then I look at something else and I look at something else. Listen to this, listen to this. About five minutes later, all of a sudden I realized while Jesus is waiting, I'm reading an article about Bob Saget's funeral. <laughs> He's a comedian that died this last week, two weeks ago. Like in the list of people I love and want to invest in, Bob Saget is like really far down on that. He's way down there. And I'm reading an article about Bob Saget's funeral and Jesus is waiting. I got up to spend time with Jesus. Like that is ridiculous, but, but that has to resonate with some of you. Like how insane to spend that kind of emotional energy on something like that when Jesus is waiting or one of my family members is waiting. And the, and the point I'm trying to make is this, listen, the most important thing needed to grow in your love for Jesus and others is the hardest thing for this generation to give. Focused, uninterrupted time. The most important thing for this generation to give is the, most hard, is the hardest for it to give. Focused, uninterrupted time. Dallas Willard says that hurry is the greatest enemy of our spiritual life in our day. And it's true. I think about our discipleship groups that we have here and what we ask is people to read like one chapter of the Bible a day. You would be amazed the amount of people that come to their discipleship class and they have not done their reading for the week, which what that says to me is they're not even investing five minutes with Jesus that week. And you know why so many churches have, have stopped doing what we do on Sunday morning? And I'm not being, I'm not, I'm really not being critical. I'm just telling you the reality. It's hard to pastor this generation 
because most people in this generation that come to church don't actually wanna be disciples. They don't, they, they wanna come to, they just don't wanna enter into a long journey with Jesus in which you learn to be like him by spending tons of time with him. We don't want that. And so pastors knowing this and knowing the challenge of that, what they do instead is, is they just give you life principles. Like here's five life principles to make your life better. And it's life principle and life principle and life principle. And that's, there's something helpful about that, I'm sure. But, but the reality is a lot of that comes out of the fact that they've given up on trying to get you to be a disciple. Listen to me, I'm not giving up on you. I believe there's people in this room that long to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm filled, a room filled with people who love Jesus and wanna be like Jesus. But what I'm saying to you is this, that process of discipleship demands you put down your phone and spend significant time getting to know the one that called you to follow him. It's really hard for us to give, but it's exactly what's demanded. And listen, Here's the counterintuitive thing about Jesus. Listen, if you will, listen carefully, we're almost done. If you will, in the midst of your busyness, in the midst of feeling overwhelmed, in the midst of feeling overcommitted, in the midst of feeling like you don't really know who you are or not confident in your identity, in the midst of all of that, if you will run hard after Jesus, what you will find is that in Jesus, you find that those things begin to go away. So say, I don't have time to run after Jesus. No, 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 no. The only place you will find rest is with Jesus. The only place things will slow down is with Jesus. The only place in which you come to have a solid center is in Jesus Christ. And so if you will make him the priority and run toward him, what happens is he begins to bring clarity to all of these things and you realize that his invitation is right. He has a gentle soul and he wants to remove the burdens that you're carrying, but you have to give him that time. And so I'm just, I'm just pleading with you to think carefully about your life, about the sins, the hindrances, and pursue Jesus by faith because you actually believe by faith. If you'll spend time with him, he's gonna settle your heart. That's a really, really needed thing. I'm gonna ask our worship team to come on back up and here's what I wanna do. I, I've left our prayer time to the end. And the reason I have is because I wanna give us some time to, to ask the Lord to reveal this. So, uh, without our phones. In just a minute, we're gonna do what we often do. If you're physically able and willing, we're gonna get on our knees and I just want you to have some time to say, Lord, would you re reveal to me any sins? Would you reveal to me any hindrances? Would you show me what it is for me? The last thing we need to do with a sermon like this is just think, well, that's, that's good. No, what, what do we do in order to run after Jesus and find the rest that your heart is so looking for? So if you're able and willing, let's get on our knees this morning. If not, you're welcome to just be seated right there. No problem at all and just pray. Just ask the Lord to reveal himself to you, to make himself known to you. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.